0: Hey everyone, this is Roman Prokopchuk and this is the Digital Savage Experience Podcast. Today I have with me Amani Roberts. Amani is a DJ, author, professor, and music producer. Thank you for joining me today. Thank you for having me. Excited to be here. My pleasure. So tell me a little bit about your journey. How did you get to where you are today?
1: I grew up uh, Washington DC area. I started uh, working in hotels at a very young age. I worked at Marriott hotels across the country, DC, Atlanta, Chicago, Dallas, Miami, and then out to LA. I did a variety of positions, um, including general manager of a hotel, director of marketing at three, and then regional director of sales and marketing. All along the way, I had a desire to be a DJ, but I didn't feel that it was a legitimate career. And I was incorrect in that assumption. So whenever I would live in different cities, I would visit clubs, bars, look at the DJs, kind of watch and really wish that I could be doing what they're doing. Once I got out to L.A., I decided to kind of go for it and started to learn on my own. Then went to DJ school, went through a, definitely a really a growth experience at DJ school, graduated, came back and then really started to grow my business from there, go full time. And it's been probably about I've been DJing for 13 years now it's probably been about eight year eight and a half years actually completely full-time and that's that's what I do with some other stops along the way
0: <laughs> yeah I think it's important and kind of not second-guess yourself in terms of if you have a passion in order like if there's a market there you can do it full-time I think that doubt always exists in terms of like the unknown or uncertainty now in terms of kind of like the global client. How have you seen kind of the DJ industry? Obviously, that's more of a live event type thing. How have you seen the the industry possibly pivot? And in terms of yourself and and some of the stuff you focus on pivot during this kind of time?
1: Great question. I think that what I've seen personally um, with the DJ culture and the climate now is many of us are pivoting to more uh, live streaming. So I first started joining Twitch. I used to, I teach Twitch in uh, the classes that I teach at Cal State Fullerton. So I'm a professor there. I teach about Twitch, but I never used it. I started using it in March to kind of simulcast my podcast uh, that I have. And then I also would live stream maybe one day a week there DJing. And then I started to add on another day as we get to like April, May. And then I really, really hit it hard probably July, August, where I started DJing every day. I actually did a 30-day challenge when I would live stream for 30 days in a row. It ended up being 54 days in a row, which was a lot of work. And, you know, I live streamed for at least two hours each day. And that was really first how I was able to, you know, to be honest, kind of rediscover DJ. Because when you're out in the clubs, you're at parties, you're pretty much playing what people want you to play. Your client wants you to play or the bar owner or the club owner or promoter wants you to play. Very little freedom, very little uh, time to kind of flex your muscles and cross genres. But when you're live streaming, you can play what you want. The audience comes to view you what you want. And then the good thing about Twitch is that they allow you to monetize your live streaming. In addition to getting like tips that people cash app in you, or sending you Venmo, within their ecosystem, people subscribe, people throw virtual currency, the subscriptions roll over month to month, you get a percentage of that, you get advertising revenue. So this whole experience starting in March, and now we're in November, in terms of shifting the business model I have from more live performances to more live streaming, has been a big learning experience, and it is something that I won't turn away from even when we return to quote unquote normal.
0: Yeah, I agree. I think it's important to kind of harness what you're dealt. Obviously people are forced into situations, whether it's career related. So I mean, I've had people that are part of like acting troops and stuff like that. So they also have to kind of go the live stream route. Or people in industries like restaurant hospitality and stuff like that. So either, you know, people that have been laid off, furloughed, fired, pivoting into maybe what you had as a passion possibly or passion project that was on a back burner or kind of reinventing your industry as a whole, I think is important today.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I, I don't know where we'll be six months from now, but I do know that I'm probably in a little bit of a better place than I was mentally eight months ago when we went through this, because I see more options. I see things that can be possibly uh, financially beneficial, help me to maintain my company, my business. So I'm in a little bit of a better place now. We don't know what the future will hold, but I see more options now than I did before.
0: Awesome. So you are author as well. So what kind of motivated that and kind of what made you jump into that and write the book? I had been a DJ
1: for a while, and I had been pretty active in the creative space, and I wanted to continue to establish myself as a subject matter expert in like the creative space and a thought leader. I wanted to be a thought leader. No, in no way am I an expert in DJing or that, but I, I, I can be a thought leader. So first I started my podcast, and that was going well, and then I wanted to take the next step. And I feel that in a traditional environment, like a book is a great way to grow your business. You get speaking opportunities, then you get more DJ gigs. So I started writing the book a couple of years ago. And then the, the plan was I would launch the book in April this year. I had like kind of like a little mini U.S. tour where I would be playing gigs and speaking opportunities across the country. Of course, that quickly changed. But... We launched on April 14th. I did a virtual book launch two days later, you know, and for me, it had like 130, 140 people in there. We streamed it live on Twitch, Facebook, Instagram, all over. And so that was really successful. Looking back on it then, I really, I don't know how I pulled it off because I know so much more now, but I did the virtual book launch. So the goal is to become a thought leader. The book uh, really, really helps to establish me that I didn't quite realize, but when you were an author- That just adds a lot more credibility to you. The book turned out great. And now I get like speaking opportunities like with you here on your show. And I've gotten some other things through webinars and things. So it will continue to open up. And I'm working on a second book as well. But it really gave me the confidence to say, I can do this. I can write a book. I can write a very good book. You know, of course, with the help of a team. And it just gives me another source of income. It might not be a lot right now, but it's continuous. It'll come through and any, any income helps, especially nowadays. And, and, and then I use it in my class for my students that I teach. It's just, it just really opened up a different world for me. And it gave me some more confidence that, you know, I can do that. And it, and it went well.
0: Yeah, that's awesome. I think like with podcasting, I mean, I started three years ago, if I went back, I would start five years ago. But it's one (laughs) of those things where it's like, you get leverage, not in a bad way, but people approach you that if you didn't have a podcast, or if you didn't have that platform, you wouldn't have that kind of voice. So both advocating myself personally. I'm a foster parent in my personal life. My wife and I have fostered 21 kids in the last two years. So I try to go on other shows and different opportunities and always try to advocate to change the system and on behalf of the children. And I think I've done, I believe at this point in the last year and a half, like 90 or so, 95 interviews. And I've mentioned it each time. So it's one of those things, if you don't necessarily have that leverage, you don't have that platform, you don't have that amplification, and you don't have that additional reach to impact a lot more people.
1: Agreed. Agreed. Just like you say, it just opens up a whole new world and you meet people you never would have met before. And I remember I was, I've interviewed some people and I read a stat where I think it's like 85 or 90% of the population has a book inside of them. 5% of those people will write the book and then 5% of that 5% will actually release the book. So to take this process all the way through the end is definitely an accomplishment that I'm very proud of.
0: Yeah, I agree. It's tough. And it's one of those things people think you write a book and you get rich. It's like (laughs) one of those or you get this massive advance to write the book. It's like not quite in terms of being a first time author or a lot of authors in general. So it's like being grounded and understanding why you're doing it. Like you said, it adds another kind of uh, component to who you are and another kind of, you know, I guess, pillar to your overall brand as well and more authority. And it's like, there's a lot of things people don't think about, let's say podcasting and being an author or doing anything to really amplify your brand that it has kind of indirect positives as well. Yeah.
1: You'll get positives along. It's a long tail, as they say, like you, now if you, you could be very fortunate and hit the best sellers list right off the bat. That's very rare, um, but just to continued benefits, you write a book, it just, it's like a long tail, just keeps going. You keep getting benefits, speaking opportunities. And then you don't even realize that the fact that you might have a book or you might have a consistent podcast, people are looking at you that you don't aware of. Like, maybe we should check out, you know, Roman, or maybe we should check out Amani and be like, you know, he's got a book. He does this. He does that. Let's consider him for speaking. Or you apply to speak at conferences and people are evaluating you, comparing you to other potential speakers like, oh, he's an author, podcast, DJ, like, wow, you know, this is interesting and you will never know, but it just helps. It just helps raise your credibility and your influence.
0: Yeah. And it's kind of utilizing what you have and really promoting it and showcasing it. So obviously there's negative impacts of social media, but I got on TikTok, I would say in November just to test it and stuff like that. And I heavily started pushing content in terms of Uh, advocacy and my experiences as a foster dad you know foster parent and one of those uh, posts I mean it took a minute to make maybe 30 seconds to edit it got a few hundred thousand views and thousands of whatever other engagement you know uh, comments and likes and shares and reshares and then that led to somebody saying you know From a New York magazine, I saw your thing about, you know, the difficulties of being a foster parent, especially during COVID and the cracks in the system being even more. Can you and your wife come on and, you know, do a phone interview and then we'll write it up? So it's one of those things like even that you can utilize social media because people often kind of vilify social media that it's, you know the demoralizing and breaking down society and all this and all that. But it's like, okay, you have a mechanism. You can either use it for good or bad. So, you know, what are you going to do with it?
1: Right. Agree. Yeah, well said.
0: So what motivates you to succeed? Obviously, those motivations may have changed over time. But what currently motivates you to succeed?
1: Honestly, I think that you get a lot of people that doubt you. You know, there are a lot of doubters or haters, as we call them, you know. Oh, you shouldn't be on Twitch. They're going to shut it down. You got to start your audience over. You shouldn't do that. Okay, I'm going to show you. I'll do that. Oh, why are you writing a book? You know, you're not going to be a bestselling author. Like, you know, uh, they just list different, like Tim Ferriss or whatever. Why are you doing that? Oh, why are you going to go and teach? You know, you don't have the qualifications. You, you know, you can't do that. You, you haven't been trained. I think that's one thing. I think the feeling that what what, what what motivates me for success is if you're playing in a in live gig and you put a song on and you have the whole crowd grooving to it and then you cut the volume at the chorus and the entire crowd is singing along to it, that's success to me. That's something small, but that's that's success to me. I love that. Or you produce a remix and you know then you distribute it out and you could be on someone's live stream or you could be in someone's set when we're in bars or clubs and you hear your remix being played, that's success. Or someone references your book in an article and you have no no idea who they are, that's success. Biggest one for me is when I get a note from a student that says, you know, I really appreciate your class in addition to the content that you taught us, but you really helped give me hope in terms of I can work in the hospitality industry. Or it is within my capabilities to work in the music industry as an executive. I had no belief before I took your class, but because of the guests you brought in the class, the information you shared, and the time you spent with us and the story you told, I now have hope. That, to me, is success.
0: Yeah, I agree. I think uh, a lot of the time, the more haters you have, that's the definition of success. The more, more people that are kind of dissuading you. And oftentimes it's just, you know, they may want to do it, but they don't want to take that leap. So like they're in a comfortable place and dissuading you. Maybe you have obviously a secure job or something else. Why are you kind of jumping in the unknown? But I mean, those are the people that actually make waves and 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 make changes within that uncertainty and i think in a creative career or even a teaching aspect when you're like literally impacting other people how they feel their emotions and what they do with their kind of future it's like that much more gratifying
1: yeah exactly i think that i've most recently in the last two years two and a half years since i started teaching at Fulton, i've had the most Personal examples of success through the students that I've taught. And you know, we're learning together. We went through the pandemic together last semester. We were first started off the semester in person. Midway through the semester, we had a shift to virtual, and people got locked down. So imagine if you're a college senior about to graduate, you start your last semester, there's no pandemic, you're like, oh, I'm getting I'm gonna get these three or four job offers, I'm gonna do this. Then as you approach graduation. You have to pass your classes. Then the world begins to go through a pandemic. You get shut down. You get locked at home. Furloughs are happening. Your, your job offers that you're given are taken away. Then you, okay, so you still are resilient and graduate, but then there are no job offers. You're stuck at home. You don't know if the industry that you spent so much time studying is going to really be the way it was because the hospitality entertainment industry has changed so much. So imagine what they're going through and for them to still push through have hope, learn. That made me feel real, real good.
0: Yeah. And they have that kind of experience. So it's one of those things, possibly seeing them pivoting into something else or utilizing those skills in a whole different way. So I graduated right when the 2008 recession hit. I was going to be you know, in criminal justice, federal law enforcement. I interned with the Secret Service the uh, semester prior, and then that happened. So for months and months, couldn't find a job, was depressed and kind of, and then an opportunity came about for digital marketing. It was nothing that I knew, whatever, out of necessity, I jumped into it, carried over some of those, you know, skill sets and been running with it ever since. So it's one of those things like either finding and thriving and adapting to that environment or totally kind of revolutionizing and changing the direction that you may have been on as well. Yeah, exactly. I agree. So what's one thing that you may have seen as a weakness in yourself in the past that you've turned around and utilized as a strength today?
1: Maybe in the past, I would take feedback too personally. I think going through my career in Marriott, you get reviews, you, you take feedback, you get a lot of feedback. And you know when you're younger in your career or your life, you kind of are very defensive at first. And then you learn that, you know, for the most part, if the feedback is coming from someone who generally wants to see you grow and improve, you know, don't take it personally. There'll always be people that will be giving you feedback that have not your best intentions in mind. So that you definitely kind of listen to it. You kind of just push that to the side. But there are a good amount of people who will give you feedback that really want to see you grow and improve. So you can't take it personally. Just listen to it. Take a step back and be like, okay, I can try this. I can try that and move forward. I think specifically the best example when I got feedback is when I was at Scratch Academy and you have to go through the entire final semester. You have to pass each class and the final semester you have to get a 320 out of 400 to graduate. I got a 318. And so I'm used to being a high achiever, an overachiever, you know, all state soccer player, general manager at a young age, like, you know, chairman circle award winner, which is the top salespeople for Matt for three years in a row during you know, the time period of a 9-11, which was very hard to sell anything. So, you know, I have a little bit of cachet, as they say. And to get feedback and to not pass, when I'm probably one of the more older people in the class, there's these young kids here just killing it and doing well, and I didn't pass. Everyone knows you don't pass. That was probably a turning point in terms of my perspective in looking at feedback. Because the instructors, they weren't really attacking me, Imani. They were saying, look, Your DJ skills aren't good enough right now, and we want you to get better, and we're going to push you because we don't just want to pass you through and and have you leave and be subpar. So that was one of the top five kind of turning points in my personal and professional life because I had to listen to the feedback, go back into the lab. Really, it was a lab at the DJ school, (laughs) and practice, rebuild my fundamentals. But what came out from that is I definitely became a better DJ. I was humbled. I also realized that I really wanted to DJ because I could have taken my ball and gone home and be like, you know what, this ain't for me. I'm just gonna keep doing, I've learned enough, I'm out. Many people do that. Many people don't pass several times. But then I I was placed and matched up with my um, instructor to help me kind of with private lessons. We ended up becoming good friends, remix partners, and it's just grown from there. And I ended up passing with one of the highest scores ever the second time through, which really then helped propel me to really maintain my hunger, stay humble, because that was a, quite a humbling experience if I would share that, and just continue to never forget that. So always, as one of my instructors says, always keep my feet on the ground and not get too uh, sure of myself. Not really arrogant, but, you know, just keep my feet on the ground and know that stay humble because it's important.
0: Yeah, and I think that's one of those things that comes with age and experiences to go through those kind of like real world scenarios. And I think I often say, you know, in my uh, field and other fields, emotional IQ is one of like the top, you know, soft skills in terms of anything. So it's one of those things where... Even what I look back, I'm 36, how would I react to the same situation when I was 26 would be a whole lot different and really being empathetic to other people and really taking, like you said, criticism and and feedback, even feedback from, in terms of the podcast from other podcasters, from guests that I've implemented. At the time, maybe like, okay, they're critiquing so-and-so, they're nitpicking. But then I saw I implemented it, okay, it worked. So it's one of those things. And, and people have different personalities. So like your situation is straight up in school. So it's like you can't fight a grade. You know what I mean? And it's like, you know, you go back, get better and, and come back. And like you said, what were you going to do? So that's a pivotal moment. You could have quit or you, you know, you did what you had to do and got better. And it's one of those things where it's like people need to kind of step back and not take criticism, constructive criticism personally because it's hard. It is that kind of like attacking your ego and you have some kind of like you expectation or how you feel about yourself and your skill set. So I'm not saying that's easy, but it's easier said than done. But if you're able to do that, you can go a lot further in whatever you're trying to uh, undertake.
1: Yeah, agreed. I think um, one of my old bosses used to say feedback is a gift. And so they're right. And even... And when I'm teaching, you know, I open myself up to a lot of feedback from the students because I'm a pretty a new professor, like, you know, I'm still learning. So I send out surveys before class in the middle of class. So the, like the middle of the semester, I send out a survey say, okay, how's it going? What can improve? Even this in this semester, the students are like, you know, okay, we love the class, but here's some things that we're struggling with. You know, we do these open book tests. We have to show our work. The computer system we use makes it very challenging to show our work. Is there a solution we can do? Or when you list math questions, can you put them all on one line so we don't have to flip back and forth and maybe miss our answers? I was like, oh, these are some brilliant ideas. So I implement those right away because of the fact that now I'm more mature and I know that this is not personal. They just want to help me improve. So I'm even more in tune to it and I can flip and move very quickly to adjust the feedback. And so this never would have happened if i didn't go through that experience i would be very very defensive and closed off so i'm very appreciative for the pain that i went through before to get to where i am now
0: yeah i agree that's i mean especially in the teaching profession taking advice and feedback from your students it's it's like one of the i guess the toughest things but that's something if you didn't take like your next you know round or semester of cl- uh, uh, students may have experienced the same exact thing and it would have been frustrating to them but As you do these and get more feedback, you really streamline how you're teaching and how you're kind of, you know, reaching because I mean, a lot of people, each individual learns differently. So I think that's important. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. I agree. (laughs) So what's one piece of advice you can leave with the audience, personal or professional?
1: In terms of advice, this is kind of a saying that is really, really kind of shift how I operate It's like an African proverb that says, if you want to go fast, go alone. If you want to go far, go together. And for the longest time, I kind of worked in my own little silo, my own little bubble. Just want to do everything myself. Didn't reach out for help or collaboration opportunities. Another kind of pivotal moment is when I went to ASCAP, the ASCAP conference, which is like, oh, I'm going to get this wrong. The American Society of Composers, something and performers. I forget what it's the Artists and performers. I think that's what it stands for. It's music. Big music, people either sign ASCAP, BMI, CSAC in the US. I went to the conference and I was just there, you know, with my remix partner, who's like a good friend now. And I was just kind of watching. And I noticed that so many people work together when they put together one song or an album. And I didn't really realize that, like I knew that, but I didn't know that. And that was like a light bulb that went off That was like, oh, you don't have to do all this alone. You can work together with a team and, and accomplish great things. I knew that, but that was really when it kind of sunk in. So my advice would be get, you know, work with people that you trust and that are good people that can push you. And it's okay to work together. You don't have to work alone. You'll get further if you work with a team of people. I would have never written that book if I didn't have the team of people that I work with to be a writing coach, help me with marketing, you know, proofreading. Like I would have, I would have never done that. And and prior to my experience attending these conferences, I probably wouldn't have even, that was a blind spot for me. And I wouldn't have even been open to it. But now it's not. I realize the value. I realize that financially, you're going to get more in the long run if you work with people. Sure, you might have to split the profits in the short term. But in the long term, you're going to get more financially. You'll get further. So just find a good tribe of people that you can work with that can be your advisors and just move forward and work together. And I think that's that's the advice I have. Try to, on a personal advice, which, you know, we're struggling with right now is try to have some sort of balance. I think, you know, with the way our work weeks are evolving, there's very few days off because you're working from home. There's a lot of blurred lines, but try to find bonds. I've been lucky enough to, you know, I play some video games here and there during the weekend or weeks that help me stay sane, reading books. I think if you can try to maintain balance personally, that'll help you as well. So those would be two kind of quick pieces of advice that I would share with um, your
0: audience. Yeah, I think it's important. I think collaboration in any field is important because oftentimes you have a lot of strengths. If it's something that you can do in a group setting, other people can bring their strengths and maybe you cannot focus on the things that either you're not interested as much of doing or you're not as strong in because i mean i see it a lot in entrepreneurs startup founders people in you know executive roles or get into executive roles they want to own everything everybody you know there's their name is on it everything's their baby and eventually you're going to burn yourself out you need to kind of collaborate and distribute some of that work because you know, you can get something a lot better done when it's a collective. So even if I have an idea, let's say about digital marketing or a campaign, or a user segment, and if I tap people within different industries for their feedback, they're thinking a lot differently, you know, in terms of uh, creators, in terms of other more regulated industries, and they're bringing different things to the table. So I think that's really important. And like right now, like you need to de-stress and keep leveled, whatever you do. Um, And and even before this, I think one of those things to really recalibrate because life does get hectic at times and oftentimes things just get, throwing at you at one at one kind of point of time. So I guess bad things or good things come in threes or whatever the saying is. And that's happened <laughs> yeah. to me. And that can really get overwhelming in, in terms of like this scenario we're in now, where there's already a high level of uncertainty and anxiety. So taking a moment, you know, like you said, different things that help you even five, 10 minutes a day just to kind of recalibrate and kind of focus, I think is important as well.
1: Yeah, agreed. It's hard. I I don't know what it is, but it's like we're busier now than we were before, so it's busy with different things. But I think part of the busyness is just the whole anxiety and uncertainty in the world. So just trying to find things that you can do, you know, live streaming. I watch a lot of people. DJ music has been extremely therapeutic, both me playing it and me listening to it and discovering new music. That's been, you know, just a major, major win. And so just trying to find little things you could do baking. I've learned to cook a few new things here and there during the pandemic, just little things like that, that you can then keep as we work through this as well.
0: Yeah, it's funny. My, my wife started a, a baking uh, side hustle. So she bakes cakes now. And before this, she hated baking. Like she's a good cook, but she would say, you know, I can't bake. And now she like turned it into the side hustle where she's like baking 20, 24, seven for people. Yeah, so
1: there you go. Things they they say the best inventions and the best uh, kind of breakthroughs come when we're going through extremely you know stressful or down situations. So I'm here for it.
0: Yeah, I agree. So I really appreciate you stopping by today. Can you let the audience know how they can find you? Exactly. You can find me on all
1: social medias. It's at Amani Experience, and that's A like Apple, M like Mary, A like Apple, N like I. The word Experience, all one word. That's on Twitch, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook. Um, And then LinkedIn is Amani Roberts, my books in Amazon. So you can find them on Amazon or Apple Books, wherever you purchase books, Barnes and Nobles. Uh, We have the audible version coming out. Hopefully I'll get to record that towards the end of this year. And, you know, I just really appreciate you spending time and inviting me on your show. It's been um, really fun and nice to share some of my thoughts and experiences and perspectives with you. Awesome. Thanks again for stopping by. All right. Take care.